Thank you for listening to the Faith Free Lutheran Church Sermon Archive. Today's sermon for the second Wednesday in Lent, March 9th, 2022, is preached by Joel Clemmy. If you have questions or comments regarding today's message, please call the church office at 612-824-5527 or visit our website at faithlutheran-aflc.org. Uh, the reading is from Romans chapter 2, verses 12 through 24, which can be found on page 1748 in the Pew Bible. For all who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law, and all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. For it is not the hearers of the law who are just before God, but the doers of the law will be justified. For when Gentiles who do not have the law do instinctively the things of the law, these, not having the law, are law to themselves." in that they show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience bearing witness, and their thoughts alternatively accusing or else defending them. On the day when, according to my gospel, God will judge the secrets of men through Christ Jesus. But if you bear the name Jew and rely upon the law and boast in God and know his will and approve the things that are essential, being instructed out of the law, and are confident that you yourself are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, a corrector of the foolish, a teacher of the immature, having in the law the embodiment of knowledge and of the truth, you, therefore, who teach another, do you not teach yourself? You who preach that one shall not steal, do you steal? You who say that one should not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who boast in the law, through your breaking the law, do you dishonor God? For the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you, just as it is written. The word of the Lord. Please be seated. I like to play games, sometimes with other people. Rules play a key part in games. It's how everyone knows what they can do and what they cannot do. I've had my fair share of games where the fun was interrupted due to a few players arguing over whether or not a rule was broken or a given move or play was within the restrictions of the game. Then after the rules are clarified, one player will inevitably say, well, if I knew better, I would have done things differently, and use ignorance to either gain an unearned advantage in the game or disqualify their loss if it came to that. There's two problems with the law that Paul is addressing in these verses. The first is ignorance, that if I don't know the rules, I can't be judged by them. We'd like to claim ignorance and say, I didn't know any better. The rules were not explained to me, or at least not in a way that I could understand them. I didn't know I was supposed to be good to others. I didn't know I was supposed to help the needy. But Paul's first statement here describes our natural knowledge of right and wrong. When we're commanded to love our neighbor, it's followed with, 
as ourselves. You could get cheeky about it and say that I'll love my neighbor first and make sure, or I'll love myself first and make sure I leave just enough to hand over an equal share to my neighbor. But that's not what he's getting at. Consider the shopping cart. The greeter or checkout clerk doesn't tell you to put the cart in the corral. There isn't a sign that says, not sure where to put your cart, place it here. You're not rewarded for putting the cart back, nor are you fined for not returning it, unless we're talking about Aldi's or something. There's no rule, there's no carrot or stick, and yet you recognize that that's the right thing to do. If you don't spend the time to put the cart back in the corral, you are handing that burden to someone else. Not only that, but you are potentially removing parking spaces or slowing down the traffic. We're limited to our own knowledge and experiences as human beings. And while we might not know exactly how somebody else feels or experiences a situation, we're generally smart enough to have a ballpark estimate of what others are going through, especially if we've gone through similar situations ourselves. I don't need the law to understand that stealing is wrong. There's a sense of unfairness in something that you've worked for being taken by someone who didn't put in the effort to deserve it. Not only that, but your trust in others is brought down. If I were to steal from another, I'd be giving them those terrible feelings in exchange for what I've taken. That's why there's the golden rule of do unto others as you would have them do unto you. We don't need several millennia-year-old text to figure out that other people have feelings and thoughts like our own. God's given us the intellect and emotional reasoning to figure out right from wrong, regardless of how many times you've walked into a church or opened a Bible. God has written his law on the hearts of everyone. Everyone has a conscience or a Jiminy Cricket to accuse or defend you of your actions. On top of that, or even if your cricket has been smothered somehow, you should have a sense of fairness and can see when favoritism is at play. Sometimes that situation might be you showing favoritism to, other, to some people and not others. Oftentimes, they have something you want and you're hoping they'll reciprocate. And if that's not enough, I'm sure you can recall a moment where you've been less than perfect, and if you could turn back time, you might do something differently. It's like God already knows our behavioral traps. It's as if he wrote the firmware and knows what happens when it interacts within, with sin. It's not a bug, it's a feature of sin within us. We're, not, we're able to figure out for ourselves what our human nature is that God's law has already explained to us in great detail. So we can't excuse our lack of knowledge of the law to escape judgment. But what about the opposite? Does our knowledge of the law give us a leg up on everyone else? Our sinful nature is always trying to find a way to make ourselves better than others, or at least convince ourselves of that. In Matthew 23, Jesus describes the hypocrisy of the Pharisees, for they say things and do not do them. In the same fashion, Paul confronts the church and asks the teachers of the law if they can follow their own teachings. The Pharisees had the game down. They put in the least amount of work and still found a way to maximize their earthly reward. How did they justify the fairness of this workload to themselves? It's almost like a group project where one person claims they're the idea guy and spends little effort while making their teammates do all the work. 
There's a big problem with counting knowing something as credit or comparable to actually doing it. The first thing that comes to my mind when I hear that the doers are justified and not the hearers, I think not only of that verse in James, but of self-help books, podcasts, and instructional videos. Think about how much time you've put into reading or listening or watching content on how to improve your life, and then think about how much time you've actually committed to self-improvement. If you're anything like me, it's a little one-sided, and when I look at the Amazon best-selling list, I don't think I'm alone here. I could watch plenty of videos on how to do exercises, but unless I actually go out and lift heavy things, I'm not gonna see any benefit. It's like that phrase from G.I. Joe, knowing is half the battle, isn't quite appropriate when 99% of the pain is in the other half. The teachers of the law likely justified their knowledge and teaching of it as half the battle and left the other half with 99% of the pain to others to deal with. We'd like to give ourselves credit for knowing law, but we're not any better off. We're not any closer to salvation, and we only know more accurately with the law how we are condemned. So we try to deceive ourselves with various tricks. There's a term called self-preservation bias, where the mind will do what it can to protect the ego by simultaneously crediting our own works for when things are going well for us and blaming the bad things of a situation we're in. It's like, if I do a good job on a test, it's because I studied hard. But if I do a poor job, it's because the questions were not appropriate to the material or were unfairly worded. It's, uh, if I give a musical performance and there's no applause, it's not that I did a mediocre job, but rather that the audience is full of stoic German and or Scandinavian backgrounds and showing emotion is forbidden. The problem with self-preservation bias is that by overprotecting our feelings, we don't learn from our mistakes. And instead of identifying sin within ourselves, we look at the sins of others. At the same time, we'll misinterpret the law so that somehow we're on top of it, and we'll delude ourselves into thinking we have a shot at fulfilling the law ourselves. But if we took an honest look at ourselves, like Paul explains, we'd find ourselves breaking the law in some manner. You may not have been convicted of theft, but have you been completely honest in your exchanges? On adultery, have you read what it says in Luke 16, 18, or 1 Corinthians 7? You might not be robbing temples, but have you justified unkind acts or hateful thoughts towards others because they deserve it? I like to think that maybe I've avoided at least bearing false witness against my neighbor, but then I remember the last time I passed gas and gave a light suggestion that it came from my brother. <laughs> Plenty of options for us to fall short of fulfilling the law. We'd like to define the law like one side has small offenses, like lying to the dentist about your flossing habits, and the other side is murder. And as long as we're on the good side of the line, we'll be okay, but that's deceiving ourselves. The problem is we don't get to decide where the line is. The law is perfectly fulfilled, or it isn't. So in our attempts to justify ourselves, we might instead try to exclude ourselves from the law. We find that the rules are so difficult that we'll find any justification or excuse not to obey them while simultaneously demanding the compliance of others, a sort of rules for thee but not for me. Or maybe we'll adopt a you-first mindset and we'll say to ourselves, will somebody not me do the right thing and then I can follow them? 
If we can teach the law, we can also distort the law so that we come out on top. We can shape the law such that our beliefs are right and anyone against us is evil. This is incredibly tempting when it takes a few minutes of internet browsing to sound like an expert on any topic. I'm sure you've noticed the uptick in military experts over the last couple weeks. There's another term called social projection, where we assume people are like ourselves and thus tend to project our personal traits onto them. In psychology, this can manifest in an ego-preserving manner, or we see faults in others when we want to avoid convicting ourselves of the same faults. When we feel the need to teach the law to others, that might be a hint that we need to convict ourselves of our own sin and repent before God. In Ezekiel 36, the people of Israel were driven out of the land to their neighbors, and their neighbors are wondering, how pathetic must this God be that can't keep his people safe? The big deception Paul writes in Romans is that if I get to teach the law, I can pick out the parts of the law that I think I'm good at. Then I can make it about me, follow my example. But if I make my imperfect self the example, I will inevitably fail and God's name is blasphemed like Paul mentions in Romans. What does that say about my faith? That it's weak, that it's insufficient, such as the result of faith in works. All these tricks and twists of the law come from a delusion that we can avoid judgment if we're better than our neighbor. And if we're not sure, maybe we can fake it till we make it. It's like the joke where you're hiking in the woods with a buddy and you get chased by a bear. You don't really need to outrun the bear, you just need to outrun your buddy. Maybe if I appear more righteous than my neighbor, I can escape sin, but that's a delusion. When the day comes and God judges the secrets of men, I can't rely on my self-righteousness. God requires perfect fulfillment of the law. That law was fulfilled by Jesus. We don't need to cheat the law or distort the law or rewrite the law or bash our neighbor with the law to survive judgment. We have Christ's righteousness taking our place before God. Our neighbor does not naturally come to that conclusion like knowing to put the shopping cart back. So when we preach, we must preach the gospel of Jesus, that Jesus made full atonement for our sins when he died on the cross at Calvary. So what of the law, so what of the law then? God commands us to follow the law and love our neighbor. The point of playing a game is not to win or to prove to everyone how good you are at tossing plastic. It's to have fun. The point of works in following the law is not for our own benefit, but for the benefit of our neighbor. Don't ask how the law can help you. Ask how the law can help you help your neighbor. We have our faith in Christ and not in our works, so that when we stand before God on judgment day, he doesn't see us, but instead Christ, who perfectly fulfilled the law for the benefit of us.